Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. All right, well, as it turns out, a difficult year doesn't just end because the last digit changed. (laughs) But I think we already knew that. Um, Somebody said a couple weeks before the new year, uh, you think 2020 was bad, wait till she turns 21 and starts drinking. Um, I normally try to start working on sermons on Wednesdays. Um, That was the plan, Uh, but then this past Wednesday was absolute chaos. And my normal pattern, just like all of us, I'm sure, was interrupted as I watched everything that was going on. And to be totally honest with you, um, since then, I honestly kind of dreaded writing a sermon. I dreaded having to stand in front of people and speak. especially in this context that we're in. And that's a shame because I love worshiping with you. I love preaching the gospel and I love the book of Revelation, which we start back in that series again today. Uh, But yesterday morning, I sat there in front of a blank screen, totally unsure how to begin. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. It's not to comment and give our opinion on everything that ever happens in the world. My training has prepared me to equip you to better understand and apply God's word to this life as we anticipate the next. So that doesn't give me the right or the authority to bombard you with my opinions on politics or any situation that happens to come up. My only authority is scripture. But we can't just pretend like the things that are happening in the world around us aren't happening. And it's actually really dangerous for the church to think that the things happening in the world have nothing to do with the way that we apply the gospel to our daily lives. So I do want to say one thing about this week before we get into Revelation. This is not politics. It's just something that I want to share with you, something really wise that I read the other day. There's a writer named Kerry Nyhoff. Um, He writes and speaks on the future of the church, on church leadership. And I want to tell you from the start, I totally disagree with him about some of his views on the future of the church. He is convinced that the future of the church is digital, that moving the church online during COVID was a good thing, that it was good for the church. I totally disagree. I am convinced that the church must be the embodied presence of Christ in our communities, gathered together, that we have to physically be together to love one another and to love those around us as the body of Christ should. So we absolutely fundamentally disagree on that. But just because he's wrong about that, (laughs) that doesn't mean that everything he says is wrong. Just because we disagree on that doesn't mean that everything that he thinks and says is wrong. People can differ in their views. They can be wrong about one issue and right about others. Wisdom is discerning the difference between the two. I can have a productive dialogue with him even though we disagree on certain things. 
In the midst of it, we can even be friends. Because it's by wrestling with our disagreements, it's by wrestling with our different views that we actually learn things, that we grow, that relationships begin to form. And I will tell you the one thing the world needs right now more than anything, we don't need more comments. We need more relationships. So here's something I want to read to you that he wrote this past week, and this is something that he is definitely absolutely right about. He said this, he says, you and I have watched over the years as people have gotten angrier and angrier. I and many others have written about the damaging impact of polarization and the hate, whether it's on social media or in our public discourse. And it's deeply alarming to me. It's been devastating to see us devolve to this level as a culture. It horrifies me even more that the church has descended into some of that hatred, vitriol, and division that has come to plague our culture. And then he says this. He says, especially in a season like this, this culture needs an alternative to itself, not an echo of itself. Our job here is not to just repeat and recite all the noise that we hear throughout the week. Our job is to remember the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim that to one another so that we can go be an alternative community as we go out into the world. I believe that here we are becoming an alternative to the culture around us and not an echo of it. That's my goal here. Amen? Do we agree on that? So the timely thing is that uh, Revelation actually does a really good job of teaching us how to be an alternative culture. Its purpose is to teach us how to live as disciples of Jesus in the midst of a world that's falling apart at the seams. I've told you this before, Revelation is not about the end of the world. It's about discipleship. It's about what it means to follow Jesus as the world is coming to its end. So today we pick up in chapter 12, and I have to tell you, um, this is another really difficult section in this book. This book is about hope, I promise, <laughs> but it is getting rough. This is why most smart pastors, uh, they're wise enough to stop preaching at chapter five. <laughs> But chapter 12 and the next week with 13 and 14, these chapters that are to follow, they're difficult to read because we have to deal with a reality. We have to deal with an important part of the story. We have to deal with the reality of evil. We have to hear about evil's purpose and plan. We have to hear about its failed attempt to oppose God's plan of salvation and redemption. We need to hear it. We need to be able to compare the goodness of the plan for God's kingdom versus the plans that we encounter each and every day that oppose it. And we need to hear it because even though evil's plan has already failed from heaven's perspective, as Beth told us, the reality is that from the perspective of earth, y'all, we're still deep in the struggle. 
So listen to this from Revelation 12. And we don't have time to read or talk about everything in this chapter today. Uh, Just as a reminder, every Wednesday night at 7.30, I have a Zoom class where we go deeper into all of this. So if you want to know more, um, you can just grab that Zoom link from the website and you can join us. You can get in for one week and get back out. You can stay the whole time. Totally up to you. So listen to this from Revelation 12. I'm just going to read the first six verses. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, which is the same as three and a half years. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, be present with us as we hear the gospel proclaimed in the midst of chaos and destruction around us. Help us to remember that the first Christians were hearing this message in much of the same way. So help us find our identity in that and show us what we are to do in the midst of it. We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we have talked, you've heard me say over and over, if you've been following along in the series. If you haven't, if this is maybe your first time back for a while, all of these Revelation messages since September are online. You can go back and listen to them. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I've shared with you that to read Revelation literally means that we actually read the images as symbols. We're reading it according to the type of literature that it's telling us that it is. So I want to read to you again, I shared this with you a while ago, but this is something that Eugene Peterson said about how to read and interpret Revelation. Eugene Peterson, again, Presbyterian pastor, wrote the message. Uh, This is what he said. He said, Revelation's images are not mere illustrations of something that can be said more directly. A picture makes its own statement. It is its own text. It does not communicate what it has to say by being reduced to language. So what does all that mean? He continues. He says, it would be a violation of Revelation's mode of communication to attempt to summarize its message in a manner that would make the text itself unnecessary. Here's all that means. We have to be really careful not to get into the temptation to start picking apart every little word, every little detail, picking apart everything we read, looking for the literal interpretation of it. Some of this we just need to hear and experience. Some of these images are not meant to be interpreted, they're just meant to be felt. Today we're gonna talk about the woman clothed with the sun, the dragon with the seven heads and 10 horns. Those things are so strange and graphic. We'll talk about what those mean, but it's just really important that as we do that and as we read these passages, that we don't let our explanations take away from the drama of their presentation. Revelation, it wasn't written this way because it was just the last kind of literature left. It was written this way on purpose. So we need to understand why it was written this way as we understand what he's trying to say to us today. 
So this morning, let's just talk first simply in Revelation 12 about three characters, and then we'll wrestle at the end with what it all means. Three main characters, the woman, the dragon, and the child. So first, the woman. Uh, The text makes it sound pretty simple. She was pregnant, she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who is this woman? (laughs) They don't want to say. The other services said it loud and knew that they were kind of wrong. So (laughs) it sounds like it's Mary, right? And if you said that, you're 33% right. (laughs) How about that? That sounds like a simple summary of the story that we just told, the story we celebrated at Christmas. But there's a really important word at the start of the chapter that's a red flag. It tells us that there's something more going on here than just a retelling of what happened the night Jesus was born. This chapter starts with the words, a great sign appeared in heaven. And remember our mantra since we started this study, revelation doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means. And when it tells us that the image is a sign, we need to take that seriously. And we need to make sure that we don't minimize our interpretation of those signs to one particular event in history. We need to step back and see the bigger picture. We need to be really careful that we don't identify the woman with only one particular woman. Or, maybe more importantly, the dragon with any one particular person in history. And you're going to see why that's important in a minute. So back to the question, who is this woman? Well, if we go back to Genesis 37, remember Joseph, he's one of 12 brothers, and he has this dream. In his dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, they bow down to him. And he's foolish enough to tell his brothers about this dream. (laughs) They understood the point. They throw him in a pit. Things do not go well. But we find out in the story that the sun represented his father Jacob, the moon represented his mother Rachel, the 11 stars were his 11 brothers. He would have then been the 12th star. So these 12 brothers from that story, they will become the namesakes, they will become the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the beginning of the people of Israel. And this passage starts by telling us this sign is a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So one of our tools to understanding scripture is we use scripture to interpret scripture. And this woman in Revelation 12 is clearly also a reference to Israel. But then listen to this from later on in chapter 12. It says the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. That's not Israel. The rest of her offspring, obviously now a reference to the church. So all at the same time, this sign, this woman, she is Mary, the mother of Jesus. But this sign also points to the whole people of God, God's people before the birth of Christ and God's people since represents both Israel and the church. This woman didn't just give birth to the Messiah. This sign in Revelation 12 represents that which brought into the world all of God's children. So that's the woman, next the dragon. 
And there are obvious reasons why you would use a dragon to represent evil. That's a pretty typical literary device. And we'll get more into that stuff on Wednesday night. But for today, just look at a couple of the details. We're told that the dragon is red. That's the color of blood. When Jesus has been introduced to us in Revelation so far, what color is he wearing? White. This dragon has seven heads and ten horns. Similar to Jesus, actually. These are symbols of complete power and authority, but in this case, that power and authority has been given to it by something greater than it. This dragon also has seven diadems. That's another word for crowns. But this type of crown is a reference to earthly symbols of wealth and influence. This dragon is incredibly rich and has incredible influence over the world. His power and his influence is so great that the way Revelation says it, he could wipe away a third of the stars with just a swish of his tail. Now we are also told that just like the woman, this dragon is a sign. And that's important. Both the woman and the dragon are signs that are pointing beyond themselves to something larger. In the history of interpretation of Revelation in the church, at least for the past 150 years, we have been obsessed with trying to figure out who this dragon is. That is not the point. The woman symbolizes Mary, Israel, and the church. This dragon symbolizes everything in the world that stands in opposition to God. Everything that's evil, which does include the embodiment of that evil, which scripture refers to as Satan. So that brings us finally to the child. The woman was a sign, the dragon was a sign, but listen to how the child is described. So she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. That's very specific, down to the chromosomes, right? <laughs> Why be so specific? Because John never uses the word sign in relation to this child. John is telling us this child is not a sign. This child is a human. The woman and the dragon both point to realities beyond themselves. The child does not point to anything beyond himself. He is the reality. He is the point. He is real. He is not a symbol of something else. You see, we aren't going to see a literal woman clothed in the sun, as fantastic as that might be. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not going to see that. What we will see and what we will encounter is God's people here on earth. We are not going to find a literal dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Thank God. But what we will experience and encounter is evil in all of its forms here on earth. They are both a sign of something beyond themselves, but we are going to experience and find a human child, a son named Jesus the Messiah. Now, there is a lot more to this chapter. Again, you're just going to have to join me on Wednesday nights if you want to dig deeper into that. But for today, why does all this matter? I mean, this is interesting. It's fun to read this stuff, but what does it really matter? How does this chapter help us as we try to create a community, an alternative community to the world, a community of disciples of Jesus Christ? Why do we need Revelation 12 in order to do that? 
Well, Revelation has 22 chapters. So Revelation 12 is not only the literal physical center of the letter, it is also the theological center of the letter. And at the center of that story is a war. It's the war. The war behind all wars. The reason why we go to war ourselves. This is about the cosmic war, the great battle. Daryl Johnson is a New Testament scholar. He's written these books on Revelation that we've referenced before. Here's how he says it. He says, the war started in heaven long ago. And then at one point, heaven experiences a victory, a decisive victory. But here's the twist. The decisive victory for heaven was actually won on earth. Think about what you remember from school, ancient literature, ancient religions. How do their stories go? Especially like the Greeks and all their stories of their gods. There's always this drama playing out in heaven, right? It's like these soap operas that are happening in the heavens. And as that plays out, there are consequences for us on earth. The gods are angry, they're jealous. Their tantrums result in lightning storms and hurricanes and plagues and famine. And that destroys and impacts us because in those stories, we don't matter. They are the point, we are the collateral damage. But in our story, in this story, something happens on earth that impacts heaven. You see, Revelation 12 is all about a war, but it's about a war, as Beth said, that has already been won. And central to heaven's victory was this 33-year period in human history when the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood, lived and worked with us, served us, was here with us, later dying on a cross for us, raised then from the dead so that he could bring us back into a loving relationship with his Father in heaven. That happened here, not up there. As we read Revelation 12, it does sound like a Christmas story, and in part it is, but it is also clearly proclaiming the good news of Easter Sunday. And that is all good news. But again, we have a problem. If the war has already been won, if Easter and Christmas have already come, then why does it seem like evil is still winning? That prayer that Mark prayed, he was only scheduled to do that at the eight o'clock service. I asked him to come to these other services as well because it was the perfect prayer for this week. It's exactly the prayer that we needed this week. The problem is, why did we need him to pray it? Why is there so much chaos in the world that we have to pray for these things? We have to pray for things like hatred and violence and dissension among us. People who are part of the same country. Why do we have to do that? Well, the war is won, but the story's not over. Revelation 12, 12 tells us, therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. To help make this point, and that's what Beth said in her message, but to help make it, I want to read someone else's words. I've made this point before as we've been studying Revelation, but today I want to hear, you'd hear it again, and I want to use Daryl Johnson's words to explain it to you, and I want you to know that he wrote these words in a commentary on the book of Revelation back in 2004. So here's what he said about this. 
He says, if the war has been won, then why are things still so bad? Because the dragon is ticked. He's angry because he's been thrown down and because his time is short. The dragon knows the gospel. He knows that he's been thrown down never to be returned to heaven. The devil knows the New Testament proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is coming. The devil knows that that's true. He knows it better than some Christians. And that's why he's so active. Because on his way out, he is going to get as much dirty work done as he can. It's because the dragon knows the truth that he is enraged. And that's why things are so bad. The dragon is on a desperate rampage. In the death throes, he's unleashing what evil he has left. In the suffering of the church and the world, it is not a sign of Satan's victory. It's evidence that he realizes he's been defeated. So here's the challenge for us. Here's the so what. If the dragon, if the devil, if Satan is acting out in the world as if Jesus really is Lord and as if Jesus really is coming to reclaim his people and his world, if the devil knows that's true and is reacting to that every day here in the world, then shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Shouldn't disciples of Jesus be living each and every moment of each and every day as if Jesus really is the Lord, as if Jesus really is coming. And of course, the way we live out that truth must look radically different than the way the dragon is living out that truth. I think there are three things that can help us. One, to know which side of the story we're living but also three things that will help us to be an alternative to the culture around us that'll help us, empower us to overcome the evil around us and the evil that's within us. The first thing that will help us is we will overcome evil only through the blood of the lamb that was given for the forgiveness of sins. We have to start by knowing that we cannot do this on our own. It is only by, by the blood of Christ and now the power of his Holy Spirit that we have any hope. And because that blood was given for the forgiveness of sins, one of the ways that we exercise this is by confessing. When we confess, we are receiving the gift of forgiveness, saying to God, and when appropriate, saying to others, you know what, you're right. I messed up. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Confession doesn't mean sitting before somebody who's holy or sitting before somebody else who's an accountability partner and dishing all your dirt. That's not what confession is. The word confession literally means to agree with. So when we're confessing, we're just agreeing with the truth. We're agreeing with God that we have sinned and fallen short. When we do that, we can receive his forgiveness. When we can sit with one another and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. We can receive one another's forgiveness. When we become a people who cover evil with the blood of the lamb, we rob it of its power. And we have the hope that we can overcome. That's the first thing. The second one is that we overcome all this by relying on the truth. Not partial truth, 
not spin, not somebody's interpretation of the truth, but on the whole truth, even if it disagrees with us. We're in a culture now that believes that truth is relative. It's not. Truth is not what feels right. Truth is not what sounds right. Truth is not the stuff that we already agree with. Truth is truth. There is right and there is wrong. There is absolute truth in the universe. It is the only vaccine for deceit and lies. Jesus himself tells us that it is the truth that will set us free. And if we could just learn to be vulnerable and to be honest, I am a broken, flawed human. You know what that means? As much as I don't want to admit it, sometimes I'm wrong. (laughs) Don't tell my wife, let me tell her. (laughs) Sometimes I'm wrong. And someone else is right. If I can learn to agree with that, then I will be able to overcome. The third thing we can do, we can overcome by telling the good news that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is coming. And we tell that news in the face of evil to others and to ourselves. We proclaim to the world and to ourselves over and over again that Jesus is Lord, that whatever is happening here on earth does not have the final say. Because of the blood of the lamb, because of the truth of the gospel and by proclaiming it, we can tell one another and the world around us whatever happens on earth, it doesn't have the final say. No way of thinking has the final say. No politics has the final say. No politicians have the final say. No disease has the final say. No war or poverty no abuse, not even death. Nothing on earth has the final say. So we don't have to be a people who live in despair. Even in the midst of everything happening around us, we can find hope because we know that it is only Jesus that has the final say. There is one other way that we do this, uh, one other way that we overcome, and I didn't even really think about this till I was preaching at the eight o'clock, but we overcome by doing all of that together. Right, getting past this idea that my faith is my personal walk and it doesn't really impact or have anything to do with you, that is just not true and that is not biblical. We will overcome by relying on the blood of the lamb, relying on the truth and telling that truth when we do it together. I told the service at 930, that just being honest and transparent and vulnerable, that there are times in the past year that I, I have wanted to just give up. It's too hard. There's too much. I'm exhausted. I don't even know how to do this. <laughs> I was trained to do some things. I was not trained to lead a church through a pandemic or through social and political upheaval. I don't know what I'm doing. By myself, I would have given up but it is because of you, my love for you, my commitment to you, and my need for you that I can get past it and get up and do my job. We overcome by doing this together. And there are different ways that we can tell this story to the world. We tell it, I tell it by preaching. Some of you tell it over a meal with a friend. Some of you tell it by the way that you sacrificially love and serve those around you. Some tell it in art through song. Martin Luther, When he wrote A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, he's telling this story 
in this verse when he said, and though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. I started this series back in September quoting that hymn. And I'm restarting the series now in January using it again for one reason, because it is absolutely true. One little word shall fell all of the evil that plagues us. And that word is Jesus. I pray that the church will turn to that name. Not the philosophies, not the politics, not to the ways of this world, but we will turn to Jesus because that is the name that is the only way that the darkness will ever flee. Amen? Believe that, y'all. I know it's hard, but believe that. And then we can go live it. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, in our minds and in our hearts, we know this is true. We know the truth that Revelation just taught us. We know that you've won. We know that we can take comfort in that, that we find our hope, our peace, our joy in it, and then we wake up on Monday. <laughs> it's hard. Father, I pray that you'd be merciful and kind to us. Be merciful and kind to a church that, that is kind of lost, that's trying to find its way again. Be merciful and kind to a world that is lost. Let us be a people who will help the world find its way again. Help them to see who you are, your beauty, your love, your truth. Help us to be an example of how to speak truth but not in hate, hatred, not in a divisive and poisonous tone but in love. Not denying or turning away from what's true, but speaking it in a way that can bring others along with us. That reveals the light. It doesn't just make the darkness darker. I pray that you would continue to form us into that alternative community to the world around us. Because it's only through your power that that can happen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.